Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's been a busy time to be in the public health business in St. Louis County. In fact, most of the things you're talking about these days seem to involve them. Restrictions on youth sports in St. Louis County? Check. Elementary schools exploring ways to get get back to in-person instruction? Check. Flu season coming up in the middle of a pandemic? Yes, they're all over that, too. And joining me today to talk about it is Spring Schmidt. She's the co-director of the St. Louis County Public Health Department. Spring, welcome. Thank you very much. So it's been such a busy spring and then summer for you. What's been the biggest challenge for you in this whole time? I think it's really been that, you know, we're we're building a whole system and infrastructure that didn't exist before hmm. um, on top of our concerns for, you know, how we find ways to guide our community in an experience none of us have ever had with a virus none of us have ever seen. So... The, the novel part of this. <laughs> <laughs> it has been novel. And when you say you're building this infrastructure, you mean in terms of things like contact tracing and, and trying to discover where these cases are coming from and, and how they're spreading? The contact tracing, testing um, in our environment, uh, some of the results notifications from people who have never done this before, hmm. uh, the, the public monitoring, modeling at this level of how public policy affects everyone, uh, different lines of communication, really Almost everything that we're doing, there are a few things that are an amplification of stuff that we already did, but almost everything else is something we've built in the last six months. Hmm. That's a good point. And it's interesting. We don't always think about public health as being such a flashpoint for people's emotions and people's politics. But man, that has happened too. Has that been hard at times to, to watch as that's unfolded? Well, of course it is. You know, we, we want to be able to, to guide the community. We're here. We're really focused on the mission for this. Um, of course, there's there's political aspects uh, to, to how people perceive this or, or understand it or, or feel about it. We, we understand that. Um, so we just try to really stay focused on our mission for advice and guidance um, that, that's focused on protecting people's health. So when it comes to that mission and guiding people, I know the big reason you wanted to come on today is talking about the importance of getting a flu shot. And before we talk about some of these controversies that that have been raging in the county, I want you to get us up to speed on that. Why is that so important this year in particular? I think for us, uh, well, flu flu shots are something that's important to near and dear to the health department every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this year, we are really looking at how many of the symptoms overlap with the symptoms of COVID. We also think about the flu um, does affect a lot of people, but it can also result in hospitalizations or some of the other outcomes that we're also worried about for COVID. We're putting a lot of strain on our medical system right now uh, and the availability to do that, and especially to be able to, to go to a doctor to receive care for some of these pieces with as many things that are are shut down. So really, we're just advising that we kind of recommend that we some people take some things off the plate so that you're not really running the risk of battling these twin pandemics at the same time, Mm -hmm. basically. What would you say to people who are trying to avoid others? Do you think it's worth it for them to get out there and potentially expose themselves to the the germs that they'd get going out there to get the flu shot? Is that a choice that as they assess the risk, it's, it's worth making? I always think it's a good idea to get a flu shot. The flu is a is a particularly aggressive virus. It's very effective. Uh, and so there's always um, a good benefit to that because even if you um, are, uh, you know, unless you're fully staying home sort of for, for everything that you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, the flu shot offers protection in everywhere that you're going. So I think that many 
clinics that we've talked to, certainly our clinics, as we're putting up flu vaccine clinics, we are thinking about how to do them differently so that we're having social distancing, so that we're cleaning very carefully, so that we're offering opportunities where we're not going to have big lines or crowds or, or anything along those lines. So I think that we're doing flu shots differently. So we're trying to mitigate that risk for you. And we want you to be protected at anything you might do, whether it's going to work or, or hanging out with your family uh, or, or going to school or, or anything else that you might be experiencing in the community. And do you recommend them for children, uh, smaller children, even if they're going to school online only? I do. Um, CDC recommends uh, six months and older, um, unless you have a medical reason not to do so. Uh, we agree with that recommendation. There's lots of good uh, evidence and data and a sort of a long history um, of experiences with the flu shots. So we, we do recommend that uh, because we're, we're never disconnected from other people. Hmm. Uh, as much as we want to socially distance from each other, and as much as we're all uh, talking about that and how important that is, and that offers us some protection from the flu, and I think that's fantastic too. Mm-hmm. But um, we're never really disconnected from everyone else to the point that we can say, you know, you're, you're perfectly safe and don't need to worry about it. Okay. So get your flu shot. Um, and we're going to have information about some places that you can do that for free. We'll get those on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. Um, the county has some options for that. And they also note that this is something that your insurance company um, now has to offer to you. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So you have no excuse from the financial side of things uh, not to do this. Now, speaking of these younger kids, uh, we talked about them going to school just online only. That's beginning to change. I know last week, uh, County Executive Sam Page said the county was modifying its recommendations so that schools would consider in-person learning for elementary school students. And Spring, I'm I'm curious from your perspective, what's changed since a month ago when it was more um, a request to, to keep things virtual? I think uh, there's a couple things that changed. One is that uh, we've got more specific data um, over a longer period of time that continues to help guide our conversations with superintendents about what's happening right here in St. Louis. Uh, We also have uh, a lot of superintendents that have really been working on their plans, uh, really refining these pieces, really pushing uh, their mitigation forward. They've been a lot of them have been practicing, even ones that are not, do not don't have kids in their building, have been practicing what it is they need to do. They've been training and working with their staff. They've been uh, so everyone is getting uh, a lot more of a control and a handle on the behaviors that we need to do in order for school to be safer. And at the same time, our community transmission is dropping slightly. (laughs) I I can hear the caution uh, in your voice as you say that. (laughs) It it is. Yeah, the, the caution is there. But even in the community transmission, what we have seen is that the escalation, like the outbreak of clusters or the transmission among children um, has actually remained relatively stable and is not rising at the rates that our adults and older teenagers, for example, have been rising. Hmm. And so this group, and and there's some scientific uh, literature that's come out at the national level too that says that it just seems to be a little bit less effective um, for children to transmit uh, this to other children in particular. Mm-hmm. And that's good news. And, and that's, um, you know, we talked about the flu. That's the exact opposite for the flu. Children are very effective transmitters of the flu, um, but they're not a very effective transmitter of COVID. That doesn't mean they don't get it. Mm-hmm. They do. We've had a lot of kids at every single age um, in their life cycle, but um, nowhere near at the same rates as once you sort of cross over age 14. 
Um, does seeing private schools, it seems like a lot of private schools have stayed open during this, and most of them seem to be doing pretty well with this. Should that give hope to some parents that are, are on the fence about how to handle the return to in-person for these younger kids? Yes, I think so. I think um, we're circulating some lessons learned, and I think that many of those schools are, are offering that support and advice and guidance to each other. <laughs> That's a really robust conversation that has that has never stopped. Uh, it happens in, in multiple kind of venues um, on a weekly basis. So I do think there is a, because it, it takes a level of diligence, of communication, of, you know, really looking at all the practices in your school and a kind of fundamental re-envisioning of a couple things, you know, that, that we think of traditional school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I think everyone's getting the opportunity to kind of see more of that as we move through this. So what do you think it'll take for you to get to that same place um, when it comes to older uh, students? Do you see that as something that that you're considering and you're waiting for the moment to say this is okay to bring them back to? Or or is that far down the line that's maybe more tied in with a vaccine? I I don't think it's tied in with a vaccine. At least I certainly I certainly hope not, um, because I I think there's there's still a lot of unknowns regarding that. But what I do think is um, that yes, as we get better at um, controlling transmission in our community, we continue to see some mass compliance rise um, among many people. We see our schools getting a lot more comfortable and a lot more confident in their mitigation measures. We talk about this. This conversation never stops. We are in this discussion um, almost every day. Uh, how do we find additional ways to support? How do we find additional ways to help um, provide the, the control, the resources, the support of the knowledge to each other that can help us all feel more confident that um, we will have cases and we understand and we accept that, but ideally we avoid significant outbreaks um, among our kids Um, among the kids and the staff, among the kids and their families or the staff and their families, um, because we really need to know that with this coronavirus in particular, we're not just talking about a case represents a single person. Hmm. It's that person. It's all of their contacts. It's how many of those contacts turn into positive cases and how many contacts they've had. These can escalate very quickly, and the positive case can risk transmission to everyone that they've been around. Mm-hmm. There's a big impact that comes with each one of these. We're talking today to St. Louis County Public Health Co-Director Spring Schmidt, and we do want to invite you to join this conversation. We're about to take a quick break here, but when we come back from the break, we're going to talk specifically about the youth sports issue. Um, but we also want to hear your thoughts or questions for Spring on anything we've talked about so far today. And you can join us by calling us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. And we're going to take that break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Spring Schmidt. She's the co-director of St. Louis County's Public Health Department. And we talked a bit about flu shots, and we talked a bit about younger kids going back to class. It's high time we talk about youth sports. Everybody's got an opinion on youth sports. This has become such a huge flashpoint in St. Louis County. Um, The county announced last week 
It was actually loosening some restrictions, but it kept some high and medium contact sports off the table as far as competitive play. Spring Schmidt, did you think maybe people would greet this announcement that things were getting looser? Were you expecting maybe people would be happy about this news? Um, no, no, <laughs> I, I, no. We we knew that that um, that many people would would still. Uh, want to see additional pieces move forward, and we definitely understand that. We we absolutely are fans of youth participating in physical activity and sports. Uh, we really want to to see that too, and we know um, how passionate people are. St. Louis is a very sports oriented town. Um, we really love uh, being engaged in these kinds of activities, and so I knew that we knew that um, not everyone was going to uh, to feel like that um, went far enough. Uh, for them to engage in some of the activities that that are really important, and we understand why they're important. Hmm. Well, as we mentioned, our phone lines are open, and if you have um, strong feelings about this issue, or if you have a question for Spring Schmidt, um, she has agreed to let us ask her about just about anything. So you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Um, Before we we take some callers, though, I do want to say our producer, Evie Hemphill, spoke earlier this week to David Quedal. He's a reporter for STLToday.com and STLHighSchoolSports.com. He just does a terrific job. He has his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on when it comes to high school sports. And she asked him about the biggest factors that are driving frustration for the people that he covers. The biggest factors at this point are the fact that is to the, the rest of Missouri is, is playing football in particular. I mean, football is the driver. Obviously, the, the soccer athletes want to play because that is also classified as a moderate uh, moderate contact sport, um, which means it has a higher risk of transmission in the way the game is played. Volleyball, girls' volleyball is also part of that. But football is really driving the engine because, you know, this country is, is crazy for football. But the frustration really comes that the rest of the state is continuing to play, uh, albeit with restrictions in most corners, not all, but most. Uh, but they are continuing to forge ahead, and, and St. Louis is the and the St. Louis County and city are the only – regions in the state that are not playing. Um, so that that's the biggest source of frustration, that if they can do it, why can't we? And David Quedal of stltoday.com and stlhighschoolsports.com, he also puts some of this local frustration in bigger picture geographic context. We look around and the whole country isn't playing. There are 20 states and that, well, 19 states in Washington, D.C. as of yesterday morning. Uh, according to the National Federation of of State High School Associations, that are not playing fall football. They've moved football either to the spring or the winter, depending on their climate, because football can be played in California in the winter, theoretically in those places, or North Carolina. So 19 states in the District of Columbia are not going to play football. But St. Louis doesn't look at Illinois and say, well, they're not playing, so maybe maybe that's okay. They look at St. Charles. They look at Jefferson County. They look at Columbia and say, well, they're playing. Why can't we? That's really what's driving this. Is they think there are kids in the, there are other kids in the state getting the opportunity to do something, and the kids in St. Louis County can't do that because of the the executive order, the executive the health orders issued by the county executive. And that is David Quedal of stltoday.com and stlhighschoolsports.com. Spring, do you think that's a, that's a pretty good assessment there? It's it's kind of maybe some jealousy. That's that's a loaded word, but that people are looking at other places throughout the state and they're saying, "Why not us?" Sure, um, I absolutely understand that. 
And um, one of the things that um, is the unfortunate aspect of this is, be, you know, because we're the largest metropolitan area uh, in the state by a lot, a lot of the cases in the state are, are concentrated here. Uh, we have the highest um, case counts uh, in in the area. It, it can be different in places where um, there's a lot more space, there's a lot fewer people. Uh, there are some places that have a few higher rates, especially lately, but there's 43 counties in Missouri that are also kind of currently in the red zone as far as their community transmission. And uh, we've taken a protective standpoint from the beginning because of the size of our city and the amount of population that we have. That amplification effect that we just talked about a few minutes ago, you know, has the potential here to be truly huge. Um, we don't end up talking about just a few cases, you know, here or there. We could end up talking about a few cases leading to hundreds um, mm-hmm. with, without a lot of effort, frankly. And, and we we have five clusters that we've definitively associated with sports transmission, um, and we've talked about that really openly. We also have a whole lot of other student-athletes, and we look at the national news, and we do look at Jefferson County and what they're seeing that's coming out of you know high school football right now. We look at Mizzou um, having a large number of football players. We've looked and watched what we've seen from the Cardinals, what we've seen from uh, you know college football and many of these other pieces, and we're saying we are seeing this transmission that's taking place that's really um, kind of activated around sport, mm-hmm. whether it's playing or whether it's practicing or whether it's traveling or whether it's people in the camaraderie of a team getting together from additional social activities. We've, we've had a lot of young athletes with positive cases transmit to each other. Let's go to the phone lines. Um, Tom is calling from South St. Louis. Um, Tom, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Yes, thank you. You know, I'm so tired of COVID-19. I'm tired of social distancing. <laughs> I'm with I'm you, Tom. Of, thank you. I'm tired of masking up. I'm tired of distancing. I'm tired of missing concerts and public events. But I, I think that as long as we keep taking half measures with the mandatory precautions, this is just going to go on and on and on. It's going to be an inconvenience for many and unnecessary death for a few. And, uh, you know, you look at other places in the world and they're done with this. They're, they've moved beyond it because they had leadership uh, that didn't bow to political pressure. And uh, I think that's a problem that we're having in the St. Louis area is we're trying to go down the middle. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't work in a pandemic. You can't go down the middle. You have to take serious mandatory precautions because... Most people don't understand what they're dealing with and can't make good decisions. So, That's Tom, all. you'd like to see St. Louis County go even further? Is that is that right? Yeah. Uh, bars and restaurants, you know, you, you don't, uh, the virus doesn't come out after 10 or 11. It's there 24-7, you know. Yeah. But, Tom, thank you for that point. And, and Spring, I know you've been hearing from a lot of people um, who want just the opposite, but there are those voices who want things to be even stronger. Do you feel like maybe there's a not a silent majority, but a quieter majority there that's that's rooting for, for you guys to continue to take this seriously? Uh, it's hard to tell sometimes, sort of the, the you know, the, the real scope of what people think in St. Louis County. We do try to, to listen to as many voices as possible. There's consequences either way. There's consequences to sort of prolonged shutdowns that also has impacts on people's health. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a lot of months where people weren't able to go to the doctor, and it's not like, you know, a lot of the chronic health conditions that people are managing, you know, can't, um, they sort of also went away in a pandemic. They didn't. Uh, and so it really is, the middle isn't just about, like, controlling COVID. Sometimes it's also about trying to control some of the other effects 
of of a sustained lockdown. And it's true that we've seen some other countries that have had the opportunity to do that. And I think if we had honestly more of a national strategy that we could all connect to that mm-hmm. helped us all sort of be in that space, that would be a lot easier. Um, but um, we've taken a very cautious approach. I understand the concern about being too far in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Well, t- well, Tom, thank you for that comment, and we appreciate hearing from that. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Rob is calling from North St. Louis County. Um, Rob, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hello, and uh, thank you for taking my phone call. Um, I'm a, a physical anthropologist with some expertise in epidemiology, and I want to thank the, the county health department for spending pretty much the entire summer um, giving us uh, data online regarding uh, COVID uh, daily updates for frequencies uh, going all the way back, I think, to April. And what I wanted to ask your guest is um, I had been charting this for my community, for the benefit of my community, and I was keeping uh, members of my community apprised uh, with this nice fine-grained data, and including city council and mayor. Mm-hmm. And um, about two weeks ago, their protocol changed in which they're still releasing data uh, daily, but it's a compilation of 14 days. Mm. And it's made it, uh, let's just say it's coarser grain and less elegant to work with. And I wanted to ask your guests why um, they changed this protocol. Rob, and that, is a, that is a great question. And Spring, I'd love to hear your answer to that. So uh, we're constantly trying to make improvements to the dashboard. It's, it can be really difficult to help you know, communicate these different things to the community. We wanted to try to make sure that we were making some distinctions for what was happening right now as opposed to what was happening over the overall course of the pandemic. So how does, how does what's happening in the last two weeks, which is sometimes a little bit more meaningful to the policy decisions or the other ways in which we're trying to communicate to the community, um, for right now, as opposed to what has been happening cumul- cumulatively, cumulatively mm, over the gotcha. course of the pandemic. <laughs> Oof, sorry. It's a hard word. Uh, but uh, the, the dashboard does also still out- offer sort of other aspects of it. So there are tabs where you can sort of filter through other um, open points of data access and many other pieces that are through there. So a lot of the, the other types of data um, that, that are available up at the dashboard are usable through those other data card profiles. It's not always what you see on the front-facing dashboard, but, um, but it it's is there. often still accessible through those other filtering tools. Okay. We also have a question that came in from on Twitter. Um, this is from Stephanie. She asks, please ask the county health department why youth hockey is considered high risk, but adult hockey is classified as moderate risk. Hockey players are covered head-to-toe in gear and aren't around each other for long periods of time. Um, she'd like to see you reclassify youth hockey to moderate. Is there a reason for the thinking on, on youth hockey as high risk? So uh, this has actually been some of the partnerships that we've had with uh, with many that are in the sports community, and uh, that is actually one of the conversations that we're still having is is how do we tweak sort of these different classifications of each particular sport based not just on uh, sometimes, uh, especially like in sports medicine, someone was telling me the other day that uh, it's often, this contact piece is often based on like physical contact. 
um, and not just like the proximity for breathing in each other's faces or hmm. the respiratory droplet contact or the the time of exposure for COVID transmission. And so this is a really active conversation. Uh, the hockey issue has come up more than once, um, especially between youth and adult uh, pieces in that. It's a, it's a protective standpoint. Uh, that we took when we were talking about the use that we felt comfortable with at the time, but we 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 do understand we're just kind of wrestling with the um, the the back and forth of each to try to find a way uh, to to mitigate the risk and allow some activity. We want to see we want to see sports, we want to see physical activity, we want to see people out there practicing and skill developing and and moving through as many of these pieces as possible because we we really think that's healthy, um, especially when we're all this distressed, but. Um, it, it's an apt topic of conversation. <laughs> that makes sense. I do want to bring an additional voice into this conversation, and that's Carl Reed. Uh, he's the head football coach and assistant athletic director at Lutheran North High School, and, and he's been critical of the idea that there's not a football season this year. Um, and he told our producer, Evie Hempel, that the hardest thing in the past few weeks has been the relationship piece. He works with young players, and he told us that thanks to the restrictions, he doesn't have the same sense of what's going on in their lives beyond football. The way that you have to work the small groups is you're not allowed to, to interact with every group. So it's a ton of kids that you're not getting to communicate with on a daily basis. And Carl Reed also told us that he's worried that the education of teens as a whole is getting lost in many communities right now. Kids in general, when you talk about the tens of thousands of kids from middle school to high school that are not currently in school, um, those kids are not sitting in front of computers all day doing work. If you go to any restaurant or any business establishment, you're going to see teenagers working jobs 40 hours a week instead of being in school in front of the computer. So education is really getting lost in this thing also. And that's Carl Reed of Lutheran North High School. Spring, we're keeping kids safe from COVID-19 um, by keeping them at home and, and trying to limit these high and moderate contact sports. But do you worry we might be putting them at risk on a number of other levels? There, There's no question that we aren't facing a multitude of consequences in our community for the things that we're sacrificing, for the things that, that all of us individually in our in our social lives, in our interactions with others, in our businesses and work and, and, and schools. And, and there's there's no question that that this pandemic is hitting everyone in a variety of uncomfortable and and potentially you know harmful consequence ways. It, we're trying to manage through this with guidelines that are helping protect um, as many people as possible, but still trying to allow some of these things to occur. I hope we can find ways to be connecting with kids who are engaged with sports, even if they can't participate in a competition right this minute in, in, in high school. We're trying to figure out ways and having really active conversations about how to add protections for different things so that those pieces can move forward too. But connecting with each other and playing sports with each other is still so critical in this time period. It's, it is so important. And I am worried. Um, we're very focused on the need to get kids back in school. We mm -hmm. are moving through this pattern now with working on in-school education for our elementary school students. We will be progressing, and we're already like having good conversations about where we begin to move to middle school and how what we can do um, to begin to move to high school, too. Okay. Well, unfor yeah. unfortunately, we have blasted through our time today. I know we have other callers who want to join us, and, and we're just not going to be able to get to that. But Spring Schmidt, I do want to thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and answering so many of our questions. 
Thank you. I really appreciate it. And Spring, again, is the co-director of the St. Louis County Public Health Department. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.